Well, like always, Lord God, I come to you and I just pray that you anoint me as your vessel in this time and in this hour that we are experiencing as a nation, as a city, and as a church. I just pray that you would lead me, guide me in this delivery of your word and specifically your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you a question. Who likes to cry? Have you ever heard anybody say, I love to cry? I mean, some people might like to cry because they, re they realize the benefits of it after the fact that they just feel so much better after a good cry. I don't know, maybe it comes from... Um, uh, women are more prone to do that, realizing the benefits that come from a good weeping. Um, but, you know, for the most of us, we don't realize the benefit of a good cry. There was uh, a time, I don't know if this exists nowadays, but there was a time where they were actually hire people to weep. They would hire them to mourn. That uh, if there was a funeral that was happening with the family, they would, um, if the family was well-to-do, they would hire out that morning. Not that they wouldn't weep themselves, but for the most part, they would hire professional mourners or people who would cry or weep. And I don't know if they gave them bonuses for, you know, like uh, pulsating and convulsing and all those other things, uh, but the more extravagant the mourning, the more convinced the people were that who was dying was actually um, that important. And so, you know, it, it's just, that, just a weird to think about um, maybe people that didn't know the individual, but that they would be professional mourners that would cry at somebody. I don't know, that doesn't happen anywhere that I can think of or in anything I was a part of. The people who showed up were the people that were crying because the people were connected to the individual that had passed away. You know, we're living in a time right now where there's so much happening around us, and I wanna speak to that. I wanna speak to your hearts. I wanna speak to things that should make us cry, and we're in that place where we cannot afford to outsource our tears. I believe they need to come from us and not some stranger, some other person, but directly from us. So in this time that we're in, you know, I've had feelings and I think a lot of us are in that place where there's a lot of feelings that we are feeling and that are going around. And uh, I can imagine, you know, some of the feelings such as mine where I'm just overwhelmed. You might be in that place where you're overwhelmed with what's happening as you look at the news, as you look at the injustices, and you look at the things around you. Now, I'll say this, as a church, we don't oftentimes look at the news and then based on the news, we talk about those things. Um, it, it really is something that I feel the Spirit wants me to really speak into, not that there hasn't already been things said about it, but I wanna speak to my people. I wanna speak to those who would listen from our church, potentially from our city and beyond. And I wanna speak to the fact that we're all feeling something. 
Some of it's overwhelmed. Some of it is um, you're feeling confused. Some of it you're feeling angry, enraged. Some of it you might not even know how to feel. It's just a mixture of a bunch of emotions. Some of us are feeling this overwhelming sadness. Some of us is just feeling hopelessness. There's a lot of feelings that are going around. There's a lot of feelings that we're feeling. And I just, I want to talk to you about that a little bit. I'm going to talk to you about the feelings and the place that we're, where we are and maybe the things that we can begin to embrace in, in all of this that um, might bring tears that don't need to be outsourced but need us to be able to feel it and be okay with going there. When I metaphorically look down the streets of the cities of our nation, I look down these streets and I wonder where in the earth or on the earth are we going? Where are we going? Where is this headed towards? What's, what's at the end of all of this? I just look at the, the mess and the chaos of where we are presently, and I am just overwhelmed by the idea of where we are going. And I'm guessing there might be a lot of you out there in the same way that are feeling the same kind of uh, feelings of just feeling overwhelmed. And I found myself this week thinking about, well, I believe God has given me some understanding of what we can say to begin to improve some things and understand some things about who he is. However, there was this pause that's like slamming on the brakes that took place as I began to enter into this week and began to connect with some other pastors and other leaders and other people that were in pain because of these current happenings. And by current, I don't want it to seem like these things have just happened recently. I'm just talking about how it's affected us currently and how some of these events that are happening not too long ago have really began maybe a, a tipping point for a lot of us. And I found myself taking a pause from maybe bringing some of uh, resolution to some areas and understanding how we should approach it. Um, and, and God said, you know, you've been to a place and maybe others haven't really entered into that place. And I want to take you somewhere, but there's a place where it all begins that if we bypass that place where we need to start, we'll miss a very crucial moment that we need to be able to experience together. And so, you know, this last week or so, I remember the news coming to me about the George Floyd episode and what took place in that event. And uh, I was social media distancing where I encourage everybody to do that every once in a while. There's a social distancing, but I think we need a social media distance for some time just because of all that can happen on there that can also cause there to be a sense of anxiety and frustration and being overwhelmed. However, this happening that took place with George Floyd and uh, others not too um, far behind that just began a tipping point of something 
and uh, remember my wife feeling overwhelmed and so sad and she she had shared some of those uh, things with people and then um, she was able to let me know about what it is that um, has happened and and so I looked into it myself and with the same type of grief and overwhelming I'm sure we had different feelings um, my way I was processing it again was like it was startling it was uh, hard to watch but willing to go there because um, the need to be aware of what wasn't just happening in this event but what was happening as a result of it all and how it was affecting so many people and it just began to take me on a journey and part of that journey is what I want to share with you because I believe it's not just for me or just a few others to be on this journey by themselves but it's a people that need to do this together we got to start well if I believe we're going to get to a place where we're going to end in a place that we can all celebrate well but what God showed me is where I we need to go together if we're going to see anything change for the better is we need to start and go to the road called repentance and I want to take you there before we go anywhere else it's the repentance road I believe this road in a large part has been overlooked and forgotten I believe we bypass it too quickly or we assume that everybody is going down that road before they do the next thing but repentance has been a forgotten road you know, I, I could talk to you about what it means, you know, the idea of a changing of mind, but I want to really delve into this in a more personal way. I hope I have some words that help you. Um, again, I'm just, a lot of this stuff is pretty raw and it's still being processed. And I think the reason why it's important that I share that with you is because a lot of times we don't say much or do much because we feel like it hasn't been put together uh, in the way that it feels like you can present it to others and uh, I'm just coming to you and, and and part of repentance is that there's a messiness to it and part of that road is the road is very messy when you're traveling on it before you go to any other road of reconciliation you know I was thinking about repentance and you know the way we, when we repent of our sins and, and we talk about that to people that you need to repent of their sins and it's found in the scripture, right? Repent of your sins and, and even that concept or the idea of sin is something that for I think a lot of people can be really abstract and it can be real and personal. So we talk about sin but it's like, you know, lying and okay, we talk about you, you shouldn't do this or these are things that God considers sin, debauchery and fornication and all these different things that would be sins. And for the most part, we look at those things and it's, we, we, we see the categories of it, but it's still abstract to us. It's, it can still be in a place where it's very impersonal. It's not as personal as what sin the reality of what sin does. The reality of sin is that it does affect us. 
it does affect others. And, and when we just talk about sin in a, a very abstract form, in some ways it can lose the humanity part of it, the personal side of the effects of sin. So when sin becomes visible and personal, it actually begins to do something to the heart. When we see the effects of sin and how somebody else encounters it and feels it and is afflicted by sin. And I think these events that have been happening as we put a human name and the other names of the individuals that have been affected by these injustices around us, we realize that sin is personal, that sin is visible. And, and, and we see and we, we know the name of the person who that sin is being committed against. And we can hear their voice and we can see their face. And when that happens, it does something to the heart. It's not abstract anymore. It's visible. It's personal. There's a name on it. There's a family affected by it. There's a people that are afflicted by the things that they're witnessing. I've been on a personal journey on this road of repentance and I've been relearning how to repent as I've been taken there and been there with other people. Other people have allowed me to enter into their pain, to the, see the effects of how sin is affecting them. And to enter into that now, again, sin and its effects become personal. They become visible and it becomes real and it strikes at the heart. And there's a, something that happens at a heart level that I believe begins to change the mind. I think there's a lot of people, even in the hour that we're in, that might be experiencing and are most likely experiencing everything that we're experiencing, seeing it. But the road that they're taking is not the road of repentance. And I believe we, as the people of God, need to lead the way and not bypass that road. And I'm going to continue to explain it and talk about it, so I hope that you get the fullness of what I'm getting at here. But there's a lot of people out there that are sorry people. They're not people that are repenting. They're people that are sorry. And there's something specific that repentance does that just being sorry doesn't get to. Uh, repentance, if I could put it in this way, repentance is when our hearts are much bigger than our heads. Is that when our hearts are fuller, our hearts are experiencing, our hearts are more present than even our heads. Because there's a lot that our heads can justify. There's a lot of our heads that can be distracted. There's a lot in our head that we can do, but I believe it's the heart that needs to be bigger than the head if repentance is going to be the road that we travel down and repentance is gonna be the thing that we first get to before we get anywhere else. 
And I just want to talk about that, that there is a difference between people that are sorry and people that are repentant. You know, I think sorry people are people that feel bad about something. And yeah, it's, there's things to feel bad about. But I'm sorry, it's like, I feel bad about that. I can recall a time with my children when we were uh, helping them work through the ways that they were hurting their siblings. And part of the process of making that right was before whoever's fault it was, is taking ownership and in that ownership saying that you're sorry. And it was something to them apologizing that began to kind of lower the guard and caused them to see their brother or sister in a different light. I'm sorry type of people or sorry people are people that can feel bad about something, but here's the difference, repentant people and a repentant person is when they're not just feeling bad about something, but they see something needs a change. And you look at it and say, that can't stay like that. That can't be the same way going into tomorrow. Where I'm sorry is I feel bad and, and I'm, I'm, you know, you, you were affected by that. And they can sort of, if there's not a repentance in that sorry, just keep going back to whatever's normal for them. But repentance is much different. There's a bigger heart to repentance. So we can say, I'm sorry, because it's the right thing to say, right? In our head, it's the right thing to say. It's the right thing to feel. However, repentance is, I'm open to really staying here and entering into this moment and doing whatever needs to happen in order for this to change. I'm sorry, sort of just, I know we don't all wear makeup, but it's one of those things that just messes up our makeup. It's, it's something that in our sorrow and us being sorry, we can shed a couple tears. But repentance, it messes up your plans. I mean, your plans are ruined. You might have been planning one thing, but because repentance stepped in, it's like I've got something that needs to change. Something needs to be different. And um, it's not just something you're going to see on my face. You're going to see me actually do something about this. And it might mess up what I was previously thinking or planning to do now that my heart is bigger than my head. Sorry can show that we have sympathy where repentance shows in our activity. So you can be sorry about something and again there's a remorse to it but the, repentance is there's an action to what we are doing. There's activity that follows suit to the thing that we're saying we're sorry for or the thing that we're broken by or the thing that has caused an afflicted pain to someone else. Or if it has happened to somebody else, there's a sense where we've entered into it so much that we feel like it's happened to us and it changes our activity. I'm sorry says, I see you as the victim. We can say, man, I'm so sorry that happened and 
And again, these sentiments, we get where they come from, right? They, they come from people that are trying to be really genuine and um, show some empathy for individuals. However, a lot of times this I'm sorry can be reduced to saying that I see you or see that you are the victim. Where repentance sees and says you are valued. You're not just a victim, poor thing. It's no, you are a person, not just a thing. You are valuable, not just a victim. Like you have worth. You mean something. There's an esteem, there's a respect, there's a connection at a heart level when you are repentant. And sorry is what we say to one another. But repentance is what we do before God. And I just think we have lost what it means to repent. We, we can be frustrated and angry and we can do all these things, but do we know what is happening, who it's happening to, entering into that place and demonstrating something that is the, at the core of our faith, is at the inception of our relationship with God before there can be any relationship that we have for God. Our heart needs to be bigger than our head. It's, there's a lot of things that we can be overwhelmed with when we think about, well, God, holy and and righteous and all these other things when it's to have a relationship with me, that is mind-blowing. But when our hearts are just filled with the reality that he wants to love us and our sin keeps us from that relationship being right, our hearts become twice the size of our heads and we come with tears towards whether that's an altar or anywhere in his presence and find ourselves like, pushing away and destroy that sin that is looking to ruin this relationship that we have with him, relationship that we would have with one another. I mean, that's when it becomes personal. We, we don't see it as this abstract thing. We see it as this personal thing that affects people around us, affects us, affects our eternity. And we must travel the road of repentance are you only a sorry person in this time? Are you only like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry? Are you seeing things just through, I am sorry, and don't get me wrong, I am not saying that the words sorry are wrong. It's, it's if we have a repented heart and that's what we're communicating to one another, that's what it looks like, right? But if it's only sorry without repentance, then there's something missing from that moment that doesn't produce transformation or change that helps anyone. I was led to a scripture here, um, and I think this kind of can help us to look at this road of repentance uh, differently and, and maybe make some sense of what I'm talking about here. In Luke 10, starting verse 25, there is a lawyer or a 
person who's the master of a law or a teacher of the law that comes to Jesus. And it starts here in verse 25 of Luke 10. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, him meaning Jesus, and saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Again, here is this lawyer. I think that's interesting that here we have a judicial system, if you will, that is approaching Jesus about what it looks like to have eternal life or eternal rewards and how does that all, how's it all going to culminate? What, 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 how can that be all simplified, right? Because there's a lot of things that, you know, in that time they were making it so complicated and Jesus seemed to be able to take things and simplify it, take some abstract ideas and humanize it. And Jesus doesn't fail to do the same thing. He does the same thing with this lawyer who you, if you will, was probably having a large head filled with a lot of understanding. He was able to answer kind of his own question. He asked, you know, what does it take? And Jesus said, what is it written in the law? And he answers it correctly. So this guy was a smart dude. And he asked Jesus the second question, which is, who is my neighbor? And Jesus begins to take something abstract and humanize it and personalize it. And we read it here. Jesus replied and said, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. You know, when you think about Jerusalem to Jericho, uh, Jerusalem was synonymous with a place of peace. Jericho was a place where they would, you know, considered a place where as he was going, he was doing, he was looking to do commerce or it, we can, we can assume those types of things that there was a, there was an exchange that was about to take place. He was going to Jericho, a place where there was, there was commerce. It was a place that was known for its beauty and its riches and its prosperity. So here's a man traveling from peace, trying to get to a place of prosperity, right? Just trying to do life, just trying to live, but has to travel down a road in order to get there. And it says he fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. What did the man do besides just going and trying to do life? Yet now he finds himself in a situation where he's experiencing the cruelty of violence, the cruelty of just people just wanting to take advantage of other people. And it says, while he was there on that road, half dead. And it says, you know, and let me just say this before I get into this. I'm sure as Jesus is telling this story, people can imagine themselves taking the same journey 
They're like, they're there, they're personalizing this. Like, yeah, I go from Jerusalem to Jericho in the same way. And I'm probably always worried that something's going to happen to me. And Jesus is actually taking this story in a dramatic turn where it shows that there's been this violent act that's been committed against this man. And so I'm sure people knew someone whom that has happened to or, or experienced that. I'm sure that wasn't kind of fake news. I'm sure that was news that was like relevant to them and, and real to them. And so I could see them at the edge of their seat as Jesus is beginning to tell this personal story in response to this lawyer asking, who is my neighbor? And it says, as he was there half dead on the road, he says, and by chance a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. You know, I can keep reading this, but I think it's really important that we just kind of walk through this a little bit. Here's a priest. Here's a man who has authority. Here is a man who has position and has title and was most likely on his way to his duties as a priest, as uh, his responsibilities. He's going on his way and now he sees this man who is half dead in his way and it says he walked by him. He had to go out of his way to pass by on the other side of the road. Here is this priest and Jesus is basically showing them like, here's this person in authority and he's not representing well. Here's this man of the cloth and he is, this is what he does. And then it says, likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side of the road. I'm sure as people are listening to this and Jesus is saying, here comes the priest and the priest shows up in their mind immediately, they're probably saying, okay, I'm interested in what this priest is gonna do. He's most likely gonna do A, B, and C like any good priest would do. And Jesus like puts a twist in the story and says, actually the priest does nothing. And I'm sure people are like, where's he going now? What does this have to do with being a good neighbor? And here he goes and then he says, a Levite shows up and is like, okay, this man from Jerusalem to Jericho, most likely he's a Jewish man. Most likely he, he, he's going over there. This Levite who is probably, you know, one in the family. So it's not just giving a person who's in authority. Now it's getting a little closer. Now it's family who's seeing somebody who is in pain and afflicted, who has been robbed. Surely the Levite will do something because the Levite is used to, out of all the tribes, handling the sacred things. So in their mind, they're probably concluding, this guy, the Levite's going to do it. He's going to be the hero. He's going to be the good neighbor. He's going to be the one that handles this sacred moment well. And it says, Jesus puts it to them and he puts it out there. He says, he passed by on the other side of the road. Somebody who would probably be in that same nationality as the man on the road chose to bypass that altogether. You gotta understand when Jesus was talking, he was never 
talking in trend with the culture of that day. He was always taking people to higher ideals that belonged in the kingdom that sometimes will be scandalous to the person hearing the story. And here's this man, he's, he's, um, he says, the Levite, he passes by on the other side of the road. And he says, but a Samaritan, and now I'm sure people are linked in, a Samaritan, Samaritans were looked at in a certain way. Samaritans were sort of, you know, for most of them, were their enemies. They, they were people that they had sort of disassociated with and disconnected with. But here's what Jesus says. But a Samaritan who was on the road or on the journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. This is powerful. Here is a Samaritan looking at this Jewish man, potentially Jewish man just in the situation that he's in and he is moved at the core compassion is at a heart level guys it's not at a head level it's not he was trying to sort through the facts he was trying to sort through what was happening here he was looking at this man on the road and trying to gather hey is this guy uh one of me is he what is he is he like you know, what is his last name? What, what is his, you know, what is his race? What is his ethnicity? It wasn't any of that. He saw a man in need. He saw a man wounded and half dead. And it says he was moved. His heart was twice the size of his head on this road. And it says he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, which was like was, was kind of like a medicine or something that would help like numb the pain that he was experiencing. And he put him on his own donkey or his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So you see there's medicine there. There is the willing to get down and dirty. There's probably blood on the Samaritan. He brings him and takes care of him. He puts him in his own ride, his own transportation. He doesn't sit on that donkey. He says he puts him in a place where he is probably not in a place of comfort himself personally, the Samaritan, but puts him in a place where now he is able to travel with some dignity and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So he brought him to the nearest place where he could experience care. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? This is Jesus' now question to them after he shares this story. And he said to them, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. The man couldn't even say when he responded to him, the Samaritan, he says, basically, the character of the Samaritan was the thing that he said was the good neighbor. That was the man who was the hero 
of the story. And of course, Jesus looks out to them and says, I want everybody to be able to live in that same way. The Samaritan was the unlikely hero that was a stranger, a stranger. He didn't know this man. He was a stranger. But here he is, and Jesus makes him this hero, unlikely hero. We would have thought priest or Levite. Surely they would be the hero. But Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero. He makes him the good neighbor. The Samaritan is the person who's showing up is actually oppressed by the one who was oppressed. This, this, is, this is startling for people to be able to sit here and hear the story. Again, we look at the story and we're like, man, that's why mercy is so good and that's why it's so good that even if we have our differences, but I, I, the Samaritan was more than just a person who was different than the Jewish people. Samaritans were actually oppressed by the person who was oppressed because the Jewish people saw themselves as an oppressed people. And so when they're talking to Jesus, they're looking for Jesus to kind of validate a lot of their pain. And he's, they're looking for them to give us understanding of, of what we should do in this current climate of oppression because the Jewish people feel it from the Romans, uh, the Romans uh, around them. They feel that oppression. However, there's a people that feel oppressed even by the Jewish people. And a lot of times, why this is, this is such a, um, a mind-blowing thing and something that probably is heart-wrenching is because many times when people see themselves as an oppressed people, they don't often realize they might be oppressing another people without knowing it. And Jesus basically says, you know, we all kind of do things sometimes that, that do that. And, 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 and introducing the Samaritan as the hero of the story is, and making him the hero and making him the good neighbor, it's, it's, it's got to mess with the minds of the people who are the lawyers and masters of the law and, and the people that are sitting around him that are probably primarily Jewish people around him. And for him to say that and to kind of hold up and esteem the Samaritan, the one that the Jewish people oppress and make them the hero of the story, sort of has to cause them to look at themselves as like, man, you know, there might be some things in me that I need to repent of and look at. Because of where my mind was going in the story is surely not the direction that Jesus took it because Jesus just, his teaching wasn't always trending and and was the common idea of the day and, and, and would mess with the Jewish people's thinking of like the injustices that they experience. Also looking at it, yeah, yes, those are injustices, but there's also other injustices. And I think Jesus was highlighting that to showing, let's not get into this cycle of only thinking that the people that we need to be caring about it's just the people who are like us. The people that are, yeah, around us. Is, he's, not, he's not negating the idea that we need to care for one another, but he, he's showing through this story of the Good Samaritan is 
is that this is not a story of a victim. He wasn't talking about the victim on the road as much as it's a story about the victim of the victim. And that's who he made the hero. This is Jesus trying to put before people, saying, guys, this can be an ugly cycle if all we're looking at is, is the wrong thing. We can find ourselves, if we're looking at the wrong thing and going about it the wrong way, and our heart is a heart that we're more sorry about something than repentant of something, then we can be blinded but still sorry. But if we're repentant, we're going to see something beyond what other people see. I believe the Good Samaritan was a repentant man. He was a man who was able to have compassion because his mind was different. His heart was bigger than his head so he can see things for what they are. The reality of the humanity that lay before him broken and hurting. And so he was able to identify and come into that place of pain regardless of who that was. Jesus was showing everybody who was listening there and for us who read it, his teaching is that who is our neighbor? Our neighbor's humanity. Our neighbor, our people. It's people around us that might not look like us, that might not talk like us, that might not have all these other things that we would associate with our people. Jesus says, no, that's not how it works with me. It works like this. Humanity is our neighbor. And so when sin affects any of us, it affects all of us. And we should have our hearts way bigger than our heads. And when we do that, we're able to see what's lying in front of us on the road. And what's lying in front of us on the road is a human being, and that's our neighbor. The Good Samaritan was a repentant man. And I believe we're, when we're repentant, one of the things that is a huge reality that gets etched inside of us is how much love or how loved we are. That our identity becomes love. It's etched into us. Love is etched into my identity. I'm marked by love. When I'm repentant and I see the Father's heart towards me, I see him enter into my pain and love me in that place. Man, I am marked by that love. I am, I am, I'm drawn into the same compassion that he has for me when I'm so other than him. I'm not like him. I'm not like God. I, he's holy. I'm not. There's so many things that he is that I'm not. There's, it, it, it's, there's could be so many things that God can even be prejudiced towards me and, 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 and towards us. However, he doesn't demonstrate that. A holy God moves towards unholy us. God doesn't think like us, act like us, yet he looks to enter into our situation and he chooses to love us because he sees the value that we have. That value that he has communicates, I am loved even beyond what I look like or sound like, how I act like. I'm loved and when I'm marked by that, it gets etched 
into my identity. And when it gets etched into my identity, watch this, I'm able to identify with another's humanity. Do you see that? Like, I'm so marked by love that I don't just see skin. I don't just see th those things. I don't just see um, uh, different ethnicities and different languages and different gender. Like, I, I know they are there, but I just don't see only that. I see humanity. I see what God loves, what God has created, what's in the image of him. I see those things and I'm able to identify with who they are, just like the Good Samaritan who was able to identify beyond race, beyond cultural differences, beyond maybe the angst and the things that have happened in the past, potentially to their family, being able to see beyond that and able to identify that this is a human who has been harmed by an injustice, that sin has ravaged them. And I don't just walk by the side of the road. I don't just see that person. I see, I, I see more than that. I see someone who is in need, someone who's in pain. I don't, I'm not worried about their name. I'm, I see their humanity. I see that that could be me. I see I, that could be someone else that I love and what would I want them to do as they see them on the side of the road. Love enters into people's world. It just, it enters in and people's worlds are messy and people's worlds are complicated. And I know we all have our own stuff. I'm sure that Good Samaritan was on his way and he probably could have justified in his mind and had a bunch of other excuses as why he had to just get to his destination and leave that to, for somebody else to fix. But love just enters into the world no matter how painful it is, no matter how messy it is. Love sees you. They say love is blind, right? I don't think love is blind. I think love sees. I, I lo love sees exactly what it is, but love doesn't just see what's on the surface. I believe hate can see what's on the surface, but I don't think love is able to just stay at the surface of a thing. It love sees, love sees the diversity, love sees the differences, love is able to see all those other things and, and potentially celebrates those things and maybe scratches its head about some of those things. I believe love sees you but the real you, the beyond just the surface you, love sees the substance of a person, not just the skin of that person, not just the outside. So when it says love is blind, it's not that, I, I, I don't think it's love is blind, I believe love sees, I think love is just not blinded by what everybody else sees. And love will enter in, and love sees the truth. Love sees a human. Love sees a dad. Love sees a little girl. Love sees who and the human and the personal side of what is before them and is moved by that. It's when we're heartless and too big in our brains that we justify and don't see and walk on the other side of the road. The repentance road, if we're gonna travel that road, I'm gonna warn you if you haven't gotten it already by what's been shared, 
on even the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, the repentance road is full of danger. The repentance road is full of potholes and hazards and glass shards. What I'm trying to tell you is that repentance road, starting on that road, is not easy because of how messy it is and how hazardous and how harmful it is and how it is going to get you bloody and messy and sacrificing and giving up and it's going to cost you. It's all those things on Repentance Road. It's not one of those things to travel on, to get past Repentance Road is cheap, but to travel Repentance Road, it's going to cost you something. It might cause you to have to change your plans like the Samaritan. Now I was going this way, but now I have to go this way because this is where the nearest help is and it's going to cost me and it might cost me even more than I anticipated and it might mean that I ruin my garments it might mean that I've ruined my reputation, but whatever it costs me, it's, it's love. I'm, I'm, I'm so moved by love and moved by what is I see before me, the humanity, and what would I do if that happened to somebody who's close to me? And this is a person that's close to me. This is my neighbor. This is what's in front of me. This is a who. This is a person. It's not just a situation. It's the only thing that brings us back together is Repentance Road. There's no shortcuts. There's no other road. If we go any other road, if the, the, the road that I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and I feel guilty and I feel bad. Yes, that, that's, that, those are roads that you can take, but only Repentance Road. And all of us doing our part on that road is the road that brings us back together. Because sometimes the victim of the victim is the hero. Sometimes we're the victim, but sometimes we're the victimizer, and we just got to be repentant of whatever it is that has caused us to be in this situation, whether, whether it's a situation that we, have, that we see in front of us, that somebody else has caused, or something that we have caused, whatever it is. Repentance Road is the only way back to love. It's the only way. Now I want to show you something. It's a a movie clip and here is the lawyer getting up and the case wasn't going well top of that they're down in the south a southern segregated uh, town where this is all happening so all the odds are stacked against this father who is basically doing something to avenge his daughter this untested lawyer probably just feeling overwhelmed decided just to lead with his heart and plead with the hearts of those who are in the juror. Just watch this clip, and we'll come back after that. I had a great summation all worked out. Full of some sharp lawyer. But I'm not going to read it. I'm here to apologize. I am young and I am inexperienced. But you cannot hold Carl Lee Haley responsible for my shortcomings. But you see, in all this legal maneuvering, something has gotten lost. And that something is the truth. Now, it is incumbent upon us lawyers not to just talk about the truth, but to actually seek it to find it, to live it. 
My teacher taught me that. Let's take Dr. Bass, for example. Now, obviously, I would have never knowingly put a convicted felon on the stand. I hope you can't believe that. But what is the truth? That, that, that he's a disgraced liar? And what if I told you that the woman he was accused of raping was 17, he was 23, that she later became his wife, bore his child, and is still married to the man today? Does that make his testimony more or less true? What is it in us that seeks the truth? Is it our minds? Or is it our hearts? I set out to prove a black man could receive a fair trial in the South. That we are all equal in the eyes of the law. That's not the truth. Because the eyes of the law are human eyes. Yours and mine. And until we can see each other as equals, justice is never going to be even-handed. It will remain nothing more than a reflection of our own prejudices. So until that day, we have a duty under God to seek the truth. Not with our eyes and not with our minds where fear and hate turn commonality into prejudice, but with our hearts. Well, we don't know better. I want to tell you a story. I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes. I'll tell you this story. I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to yourselves. Go ahead. Close your eyes, please. This is a story about a little girl walking home from the grocery store one sunny afternoon. I want you to picture this little girl. Suddenly a truck races up. Two men jump out and grab her. They drag her into a nearby field. And they tie her up. Rip her clothes from her body. In a fog of drunken breath and sweat. And when they're done, they decide to use it for target practice. So they start throwing full beer cans at her. They throw them so hard. Tears the flesh all the way to her bones. Now comes the hanging. They have a rope. They tie a noose. Imagine the noose coiling tight around her neck. And sudden blinding jerk. She's pulled into the air and her feet and legs go kicking and they don't find the ground. The hanging branch isn't strong enough. It snaps and she falls back to the earth. So they pick her up, throw her in the back of the truck.
drive out to Foggy Creek Bridge, pitch her over the edge. She dropped some 30 feet down to the creek bottom below. Can you see her? Left to die. Can you see her? I want you to picture a little girl. Now imagine she's white. The defense restaurant. So as you see in this moment that has been created, that just turned, turned it around in that, that segment of the movie, A Time to Kill, you see that this lawyer, he helps them make their decision by making their hearts bigger than their heads. If he would have just gone after the, the thinking of it and justified it in any other way, who would have known how that would have turned out? But he went right after their hearts. We can't ignore the injustice to humanity that's laying in front of us on the road. We can't find ourselves continuing to go on the other side, letting our neighbor real in pain. Our hearts must begin to get bigger than our heads and it starts on this road of repentance and what I mean by the messiness and the glass shards and all those other things, it sometimes means in us going down that road is like I don't know how to act right now. I don't know how to act but I know I must act. I don't know what to say right now but I mustn't stay silent. It's us getting our hands dirty and bloody with the human soul that lay before us that is our brother, is our sister, it is a human being, it is somebody that is in need of somebody with a large heart. If we're going to see things begin to change, we're going to have to begin to own what's in front of us. We might be overwhelmed by what's happening all around us and what can I do? Well, let's just start with what's in front of us on the road. Let's just start with our hurting brothers and sisters around us, the confused brothers and sisters around us. Let's find ourselves being... Uh, 
apologetic to them and not just being a sorry person, but a repentant person. Let's learn how to own and enter into the pain of what's in front of us on the road. And let's be careful that we don't find ourselves blaming something else and someone else in our rage, in our anger, and in our sadness. That is producing a cycle where it's just oppressed, oppressing others and victims and victimizers. But let's just go into those places and say, how can I bring healing and help? And how can I just cry and stay in this moment? And how can I just be on this messy road called repentance? And it's a messy journey and it's a long journey. And let's just embrace the fact that it might not be overnight, but it's gonna be something that we are committed to because we're etched and our identity is that of love. Love will take us the distance. Love will allow us to get messy and dirty and do whatever it takes and whatever it costs to make sure that what's in front of us gets healed, what's in front of us gets help, what's in front of us gets mended, what's in front of us we can feel there pain and enter into that place because there's going to be a time that we're going to need somebody else for our pain and where we're at in our grief and there's going to be injustice that touches us all and are we going to be the one that's going to be on that road reeling from pain as we try to travel from Jerusalem to Jericho from peace to a place of prosperity and success do we want our sons our daughters father or mother, uncle, aunt, friend, do we want somebody just doing what we would do? We would want them to do what we were doing if what we were doing is going towards it. But if we are going by it and not owning it, it leaves the world on a road in pain where we're all justifying the injustice instead of being love in the place of injustice. Let's take time to pray. Father God, I think this is one of those moments where we're just feeling so much. And even now, God, as I was working through this message, I pray that there was something conveyed that reaches the hearts of those who are listening today, God. God, that sin has to be more human as far as how it impacts our lives and how we see what is happening around us, God. God, we repent from going on our journey of life and in our own way, going on the other side of the road, God. We repent right now for doing that. God, we need to change. Something in us needs to change. And God, we give you permission for it to start at the heart level, Lord God. We might not know how to think of it all, but God, we know we feel it. We felt it when George Floyd was crying out to his mama. God, when he cries out to his mother, God, we all feel that moment, God. And I'm just wondering if, if in that moment, if, it's probably because there's a people that don't know how to cry out for their papa, for their father, for their daddy, heavenly papa. Will you help 
fill us again with the love that allows us to see and own and care for what's in front of us, Lord God. We might not know how it got to this place, but God, we need to get involved because love compels us and pulls us and, and, and cries out to us to say something, to do something, to act now, God. I pray our hearts move us to the right type of response and actions that the world would see the people of God lead the way to a loving humanity. God, humanize it again. Personalize it again. God, bring it closer to our lives than what it's been that has made many of us lack compassion. God, we surrender ourselves to you. And we say, God, would you forgive us? Would you heal us? Because we are on the road in this life and we are broken and scarred and half alive. And it's the reason why many of us have grown silent, because we are the person on the road being victimized by sin that has caused us to grow silent and inactive. And God, would you once again send your son to be a good Samaritan to us and to love us and care for us when others have overlooked and haven't said anything to us and haven't cared enough to pick us up and get us going in the right direction. Will you do that for us right now? Will you be our good Samaritan? Would you pay the price? Would you get bloody again to get us healed and to get us whole so that we can love our neighbor as we have been marked and etched by love? Minister to us, Holy Spirit, where we are. Keep us on the road of repentance as long as we need to be on this road till we bring change in all that we do, say, and see. That humanity will experience the cure and the justice and the righteousness that comes from the good neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we thank you guys for tuning in to this sobering message. I pray that wherever you are, there's a change that begins to happen as you join me on this road of repentance. We'll see you soon.